You are listening to Secrets of Tomorrow's Leaders. I'm Brittany Barlog here at RK Studios, and today we are starting a series called Community Conversations, put together by JCI Santa Clarita's VP of Civic Engagement. With this series, we hope to highlight issues and leaders in Santa Clarita and our surrounding areas. Today, we will be starting with our interview with journalist Jorge Ventura. Jorge grew up in Palmdale, and like many in Santa Clarita, is an alumnus of College of the Canyons. He is... He is currently a reporter for the Daily Caller and recently put together a documentary called Cartelville, USA. The documentary focuses on a number of illegal marijuana groves popping up in northern Los Angeles County and the surrounding counties. Welcome, Jorge. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. He came all the way out from Palmdale, California <laughs> to be with us today. It's just a 30-minute drive. Nothing crazy. It was a nice, peaceful drive, right? Nice, peaceful drive. Um, I like it. And I am you know, just got back from Washington, D.C., so I always like it when I'm back in Cali because the weather's always great. The sun's out, so yeah, How glad to be back home. Washington's weather? Uh, very, very cold. Had to wear multiple layers, but glad to be back um, in good, good old sunny SoCal. Love it. We'll call that brisk weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here at the Secrets of Tomorrow's Leaders, we always start out with a pod deck conversation starter, and I picked one out specially for you today, and the question is, what are some newbie mistakes in your industry that you can name off? Mm, I know I've made a, I've made a lot. Um, well, the thing is, you know, with journalism and it's always constantly changing. So you're always kind of a newbie and you always mm-hmm. have to adapt to certain situations. So sure. it's, it, it's always changing. I think for me, um, you know, when I got my internship in 2020 with the daily caller, I was kind of trained like the old school journalists were like, you show up and you wear a suit and you talk like this. And then when I got there, <laughs> does that come with finger gun action? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But you know, I, I got to DC and you know, the riots started, you know, basically the same week that actually I got there it was a, it was in May, 2020. And you just have to, you know, adjust, learn, um, you know, breaking stories now is, is using a lot of Twitter. So using, you know, live tweeting and things like that. So it's, it's always, it's always, you know, adjusting. So I still, even till today, I still feel like a, like a newbie. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool that you got to really grow yourself during the pandemic season and really take it into 2021. And here we are in 2022 and you have some big things that are coming up, including what we're going to be really talking about today, which was this documentary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I am honestly so honored to be sitting in front of you because Jorge has done so much for, um, a lot of politics and really gaining awareness out there. I think it's the biggest thing that I've learned a lot from you and a lot from learning on your social media platforms and everything that you're do- doing with The Daily Caller and everything. It's it's really fascinating of how you've uh, really immersed into this industry. Yeah, the news doesn't stop, you know. The and news it's, it's, never it's stops. It's always changing every week. You know, you always have something pop up. So it's, it's always adjusting. And, you know, I think one thing that I've kind of been learning in my journey is that, you know, the corporate media misses out on a lot of really good stories that just impacts average Americans. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've always tried to focus is um, always look at what, what is the corporate media missing and then try to always find that angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just giving the, the voice back to just, you know, your average American, um, you know, who has a story to tell or, or a struggle that they're going through that's never really highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spending sp- spending my internship up in Washington, D.C. with The Daily Caller, you kind of learn that. You know, I always say, like, you know, why don't, you know, the mainstream media report on these stories is because when you're up there, the journalists themselves are kind of stuck in what, what we call up there is the D.C. New York media bubble where, okay. you know, like during the pandemic, you know, everyone up there who's, you know, reporting uh, whether, you know, whatever side they're on, 
you know, they weren't really affected. They don't really know anyone whose business shut down. You know, their kids go to private school, so they've always been in class. But then, you know, you come back home and you, you just interview, you know, Californians who had their businesses closed down. Um, you know, kids really suffering depression with, with the mental health and looking at a screen for eight hours a day. So you're always, you know, always trying to adjust and, and look at the stories that the corporate media is missing. I bet it's pretty humbling to come back into your hometown and uh, come back to California in general and just be like, wow, like, you know, what we're fighting for means a lot more to me because mm-hmm. I come home and I can go back and I want to make a difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like I said, when, I, when I'm up there, you know, um, I started to really despise that D.C. media mm-hmm. circle. And, um, you know, I was up there from May 2020 up till November ish uh, with my internship. And then it was around November when when my when my boss finally let me go home to see my parents for Thanksgiving. And I remember when I when I landed back in back here in in L.A. and and headed up to Palmdale um, at that time, L.A. County, I think was still the only county that ever that did this. They put a ban on indoor and outdoor dining. So instantly when I got back home, I was like, wait a minute, I've been stuck in this D.C. bubble. I actually forgot about the small businesses and stuff. So we actually started interviewing small businesses here, actually in Santa Clarita, up in Palmdale, and just telling the story of, you know, what a restaurant is going through, a restaurant owner, what the servers were going through during that time. Mm-hmm. You know, we were interviewing servers that, you know, they, you know, they weren't making any money, you know, with a, with a close on indoor and outdoor dining, they're not getting paid hourly wages and they're not getting their tips. And this was around Christmas time. So people was, don't, you know, yeah. things, things look uncertain. So, um, you know, I always want to give a voice back to my community and then bring the, the great thing about being at the Daily Colors. I get to bring stories in my community, but then bring them actually to the D.C. media. And you actually start to force the media in D.C. to talk about these issues and start to cover them, which is really neat. I love it. Well, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest stories that you got passionate about during this mm-hmm. time. And um, I'm actually really excited because this was an event that I got to be at. This was your first ever documentary uh, screening that I got a private invitation to. Which yeah, thank you for exciting. coming. That was great, yeah. Um, so that was in, what month was that? November? December? Back, back in... Oh, back in November. That was November, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's were funny how time flies. Time. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't remember what month that was. So November of 2021, um, you had a private screening for Cartelville USA. And I'd really love to just get the, um, you know, the premise of it. What was the um, found issue and, and how it was impacting our communities? Like, how did you even figure out that this is what you wanted to do a documentary on? So as soon as the new year started last year, 2021, um, you know, I started covering the border more. So spending some time in South Texas, spending time in Arizona and, you know, spending you know months out there. I actually met um, Representative Mike Garcia from this district. Mm-hmm. And when I met uh, Mr. Garcia, I just, you know, I just asked him because I was re- actually really curious because at that time, the only representatives going to the border were, you know, from Texas or from Arizona. It's impacting their their states, of course. Right. They're, they're the border states. Right. Obviously, we're a border state here, too, with, with San Diego. But um, so, you know, I asked Mr. Garcia, I said, hey, you know, Mr. Garcia, how come you're in South Texas right now, even though you represent District 25? And, you know, he says, hey, Jorge, you know, what's, what's actually going on here is impacting us up in North L.A. County, Antelope Valley, Acton, and, and kind of the greater desert rural communities. And you're like, whoa, yeah, and, that's and for my me, community. <laughs> yeah, for, so for me, I was like, wait a minute, like Antelope Valley, like are, you ta- are we talking about the same Antelope Valley here, like the 661? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. He's like, we have this kind of, um, what he called this marijuana illegal operation crisis related to some Mexican drug cartels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you hear a cartel in your hometown, you just, you know, for me, I just couldn't fathom him. I'm like, wait, 
what is going on? So he kind of explained it to me, and he was kind enough to um, invite me to two town halls. I believe this was back in June of last year. Mm -hmm. And one of the town hall meetings was um, him and our L.A. County Sheriff that were hosting it in Palmdale. And then the other one, which is the very next day, was in Acton. Mm -hmm. So when Mr. Garcia explained it to me, I was, you know, very curious. And, um, you know, obviously I was concerned. But when I actually went to the town hall meetings, then actually got to hear from the residents the stories that they were sharing I couldn't believe that it was happening here mm -hmm. in our in our backyard. And the big thing right now is that, you know, when, when you say illegal marijuana, people have this 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 kind of misconception. What I'm calling it is all oh, the people think like, oh, well, it's not really a big deal. It's just pot. It's probably just like two Cheech and Chong guys in the middle of nowhere smoking joints, listening to Bob Marley. And they kind of have no idea of all the criminal elements, you know, tied. I was, you know, went to the town hall meetings and. You know, residents were saying that some of their water bills were like $2,200 a month because, you know, these guys would come in, um, either siphon uh, water from the fire hydrants or actually tap into their water lines, you know, drill illegal wells to steal the water for the weed. Mm -hmm. um, some of these residents actually have been shot at by these cartels and right. been confronted. So there's a danger right. aspect. And then there's also an environmental issue because since it's outdoor marijuana, what these guys are doing is they're spraying chemicals so any outdoor animals out there don't eat the weed. But the thing is, these pesticides and these chemicals actually reap into our into our soil, uh, soil and actually mm -hmm. make it into our, our riverbed. So it's a it's an environmental yeah. issue. So when I was hearing all these stories, I was just like, "Wait, wait, what? This this can't be real." Right. Um. So I looked at the local media and their coverage, and look, this is not a, anything negative on the local, the local media, but most of the times when the reporters would tell these stories about the illegal grows, it would be a reporter up in a helicopter just pointing at the grows. And then I would always be curious because I always want to read, you know, what the comments saying. What are mm -hmm. what is the what are people in our community saying? And People were actually laughing at the sheriffs. People were like, wait a minute, we're wasting tax dollars, you know, raiding weed grows like this is um, it's, it's just not a smart move for us. And what, what people don't understand is these are criminal um, elements, criminal fractions coming from Mexico, coming from China, coming from um, Glinda with the Armenians moving in now into into Acton. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. a it's a it's a you know, it's a problem that alerted me. So, you know, instantly right there, I called my my um, my producer, Sogning Basu, back in D.C. I said, you need to fly in like by next week because we have a lot of work to do in investigating. So that's actually wow. kind of how it started from a little conversation, you know, at the border, me coming you know back home, going to the town halls and then hearing from the residents. Um, that's what kind of spiraled this, this whole thing. Wow. I really wish I could just be like a fly on the wall in your brain <laughs> at that meeting. <laughs> just be like, what was he thinking? How is he going about it? Because it's so true after seeing your documentary, which we will absolutely um, talk about later of how people can watch it. It was so interesting. Like the whole perspective on the back end of how they're coming in, what they're doing with it, and and really what their um, protocol was is mm -hmm. quite dangerous, actually, um, for someone to go in and oh, want to film and want to get answers. And um, a lot of people, I remember, were even like, you know, don't show my face. Mm -hmm. Like, please just keep it private because I'm scared. Yeah, and, you know, we, we were looking at some of the stats and figures, and, you know, back in 2019, the L.A. County Sheriff, they only identified about 150 illegal grows, which is still a lot. But, it's, you know, it was at 150 in 2019. Fast forward to 2021. We now have over 500 illegal grows, mm -hmm. starting from a little bit of the um, outskirts here in Santa Clarita into Acton, um, and then all the way up to the end of La Valley. And then the county next door to us, which we, we spent some time in the documentary as well, San Bernardino, back in 2019, they only had about 200 illegal grows. Now they're up to 1,100. So this is a a problem that is uh it almost seems like law enforcement can't put a lid on it. and like i said there's a the reason why the community should be 
alarmed is because of the water theft issues. You know, all the water that there's be, is being used on these illegal girls isn't isn't bought legally. It's all stolen from us here in the community. It's happened to the California aqueducts. We interviewed one man. His name is Frankie. He found like a three mile what we call a uh, poly black pipe where mm-hmm. they tapped into his to his water lines and we're just stealing. I but I believe the latest figures that we saw is every day that these illegal marijuana operations are operating in SoCal only. We're not even talking about North Cal yet. Between three million to nine point six million water gallons are being stolen. Mm. I believe since twenty thirteen, they have calculated that twelve uh, billion water gallons have been stolen from the state of California. And as you know, we're in a we're in a drought. We're so in a drought. this is you know it's very important. And the people who are working these grows are migrants that are being smuggled through the southern border and what, mm. what we call labor trafficking. So they're basically being held against their will mm. and they're being forced to work on these grows out here in the desert. You know, it reaches. It could reach to 110 degrees. They have trailers that they live on and they're, you know, forced to work on these grows if they even try to escape, you mm-hmm. know, vi- you know, that's when the violence occurs. LA Times did a great report back in 2020, a 26-year-old Guatemalan who was forced to work on these grows and tempted to escape. He was shot and killed and the body wasn't found for like another three or four months. And wow. those are the type of stories that you hear, you hear all the time out there in the deserts. It's, it's, a, it's a completely different ballgame. And I think... Californians have to wake up on this issue. It's not Chin Chin Chong out there. If it was, this wouldn't even be a story. No one would mm-hmm. even would even care. But it's all these criminal elements that they're bringing into our communities. It's, it's pretty scary. Just the opposite perspective of, you know, marijuana is legal to grow mm-hmm. out in California. Why do you think people or these people are doing it illegally? Why, why not? You know, wh- what's the other side of it? So what we saw is, is back in 2016, uh, the state of California passes Prop 64. Mm-hmm. So Prop 64 legalized cannabis statewide in California. And in California, if you would grow um, illegally, what we call legal cultivation, you used to get hit with a felony charge. Mm-hmm. But with Prop 64, when it passed, it went from a felony down to a misdemeanor. And the goal for California at that time says, hey, we're going to legalize weed. We're going to get all this tax revenue. It's going to be great. People are going to be applying for permits. I believe the goal that Newsom had was we wanted 6,000 legal marijuana permits. There's, they're barely hovering over 1,000 right now. But what it did, it created this black market business for these cartels and other criminal fractions. So these guys would say, hey, instead of going through the state and paying this high income taxes and getting taxed on our product and our customers getting taxed, we could just do it completely illegally, avoid any law enforcement. You know, we, we get to avoid Big Brother, what we call it. Sure. And yeah, they sure. could just kind of, you know, start this black market black market business has, that has been flourishing. So right now, Brittany, if you and me had an illegal grow, let's say we had 50,000 plants it would in Eastside Lancaster. It would never happen. It would happen. Um, <laughs> let's, say, let's say we had our own illegal grow. But this is, this is um, I'm joking here, but, but this is kind of crazy to think about. Like, let's say we had our own illegal grow, 50,000 plants. If we got raided by L.A. County Sheriff and if they couldn't find any evidence of weapons, water theft, human smuggling, it was just literally just us. What's our penalty? Just a five hundred dollar ticket misdemeanor. That's yeah. So it's pretty, you know, Mm -hmm. so the 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 reward, I mean, it just outweighs the risk any day. I mean, it's like, why would you not do it? Um, Eighty percent of the marijuana even coming out of California is black market. It's making its way all to the East Coast states, you know, so like states like New Jersey, New York or any of the Midwest states. It's making it's making its way. So these guys are have found a thriving black market business. And this situation actually started in North California then, but now years later, it's, it's making its way now to SoCal in our, in our, you know, rural desert communities up here. Wow. Yeah. It's fascinating, honestly, to see this just, it's a spiral. 
this mm-hmm. is a spiral. So let's talk about the housing market for a second. Mm-hmm. How is the housing market definitely affected by this or you're claiming that it is? So we actually, when we started filming the documentary, we spent some time in Acton. Mm-hmm. And what we found in Acton was 90% of the illegal grows in Acton are indoor growth. So like when we're in the Antelope Valley, you're running into these high, do these, uh, you know, outdoor operations very, very big. I think we, we even discovered one that was like about five acres out there. Wow. But in Acton, what we're seeing is we're seeing um, Armenian crime organizations move into Acton. What they'll mm-hmm. do is they'll buy a home. The, that home would usually be tied to an LLC back in Glendale, and they always pay above market value. So whatever the, the price is, they'll pay way above it. Uh, you know, just and, and for, for the real estate agents, it's great because they get to make a great commission. They get to brag to their friends that they just made a great sale. Made some but, bank. But what yep. these Armenians are doing is they, they'll come in, buy a home, and they'll gut the inside of the home and do mm. indoor grows. Okay. And then that's how they'll, they'll, they'll operate. Also in the Antelope Valley, same thing is if is out there when a house goes for sale out there in the deserts, these cartel guys just come up and say, hey, you're selling your, your home for 200K. We'll give you 300K cash right now. Can you be out by the first? And they'll use those type of tactics. So it's actually changing the real estate market. We, we interviewed former real estate agents in Acton who said they have they have basically destroyed our market because now the, the cost for homes is so high, mm. only these guys are able to buy them. So we're actually not seeing families move into Acton anymore. We're seeing these kind of criminal groups move in. Same in the end of the valley, like Lancaster and Neenak, those kind of um, rural desert communities out there in the outskirts where... They were just buying homes way way above market value, so they're pushing families out. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing is, they're also pushing families out through the violence, through the water theft, intimidation. So, for if you're a family out there in Neenak, which we interviewed multiple, you know, for them it's like, hey, to, hey, wait a minute, I'm living next to cartels. There's literally gunfire fights out here. They're wow. stealing my water. I'm paying about two thousand a month on just water. Yeah. Why, wow. what, you know, why would I even live here? So when they put their home up for sale, because you know they're getting pushed out with all these other elements. Well, who do you think the first buyer is? Is these guys? So we've we've interviewed folks out there where their whole block, it has been taken over all by cartels. We inter- we interviewed one guy who's John, who's a who's a uh, who's a veteran. John's the only guy who didn't want his face blurred. I mean, this guy was so angry at the situation. Yeah. But he he just I mean just around just in his home in Eastside Lancaster had fourteen operations, and he says that he's been approached by real estate agents multiple times to sell his home to um, to Armenians, and he he just won't won't do it. So. They're just pushing in, moving in. Like I said, they're taking families out. I think that's like the sad part. But um, and then out there in the desert communities, you're, you're meeting folks who are, who are a little bit older, who are out there to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, and now all of a sudden they have to sell their homes and push that retirement another five years. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was noticing a lot from your documentaries that these people were, they're going out to the rural parts mm-hmm. of Antelope Valley to find peace and, and tranquility. And they're still fighting for what they want they're constantly at a battle for what they're wanting and especially for people to listen. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest side of it all. So let's talk about um, this next question that I have is, you know, these homeowners, they're constantly being threatened and they're constantly being, um, you know, just pushed up against the wall essentially. And there's there's that danger aspect of it all. Can you go into a little bit more about the understanding of human trafficking that's being done with all this as well? You know, there's so much just kind of undercover that people don't really realize. Yeah, so what we're seeing right now is that these criminal groups still smuggle migrants through the southern border mm-hmm. and force these migrants to work with what we call labor trafficking. And Axios actually did a great job on this report that um, one out of three unaccompanied children that get released into the United States, the U.S. government loses track of. The situation got so bad that the DOJ, Department of Justice, is now investigating the federal government to see if we are releasing these unaccompanied minors to what they call the labor traffickers. So 
on these illegal girls, you will find minors that are forced to work. Um, women are forced to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these folks are coming from Central America, you know, Mexico, obviously, as well. But, you know, these are vulnerable people that don't have anything that have been now they're literally working for the cartels and they could be working a year, two years, even even longer than that on these illegal girls. So when when, you know, you see those videos of like law enforcement raiding these girls, we were embedded with, with San Bernardino County as well when they raided two Chinese mafia girls. Mm -hmm. Those people on the girls are not the cartel members they're just kind of being used or like what we call modern day slavery Plus, like placeholders yeah yeah so you know th th those folks don't have a lot of control on what's going on they don't even know who the higher ups are but it's it's a it's a sad thing so you know whether you know no matter what what way you align politically i think we all agree we don't want people to be forced to work and seeing this kind of what we call literally like slave labor on american soil it's just not right mm -hmm. these people are getting taken advantage of um so that's that's a that's an element that people don't understand about this story is that you know these folks are like i said being held against their will you're going to find you know people under 18 we interviewed one um one resident out in lancaster brian suits that he, he found like 15-year-olds siphoning water from his fire hydrant. And these 15-year-olds are, are being forced to work by these cartel guys. So mm -hmm. it's 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 honestly just, uh, it's it's shocking. And like I said, the situation got so bad that one out of three, I mean, think about that, one out of three unaccompanied mm -hmm. children that get released into the United States, the federal government can't even keep track of. So wow. they're getting lost within the system and, and wow. falling in the hands of these bad guys that, that use these people for labor. Yeah, definitely. Now, speaking of water, this was one of the like eye-opening pieces for me of this documentary. You guys were actually out there. Mm -hmm. You guys saw the trucks going by at you know midnight, one in the morning, two in the morning. I don't even know what time it was. Um, watching them take water from the hydrants. I mean, you were put in literal dangerous situations filming. Can you tell us a story about that or like, you know, going into that and how that impacted you and maybe your passion of why you wanted to continue doing this? Yeah. So when we started doing investigating, you know, like I said, we looked at what the local media did and they didn't get they didn't tell the full story. You know, they didn't really get in there as we, we, right, we, we that recall. bird's eye view. Yeah. yeah and the thing is, um, before the documentary, the residents impacted, they have um, never agreed to even go on camera for local media. So we knew that wow. it was a, it was a challenge to get them to talk to us. But once they did, we were able to learn so much. And a, an interesting thing is, since there is no local media out there in these kind of rural desert communities, the residents themselves became almost their own, what we call a local journalist. Mm -hmm. So when they would see cartel guys like, you know, siphoning water, stealing water, instead of just hiding, hiding in their homes and calling 911, they were out there, they were out there photographing, taking videos. Yeah. Um, so when they gave us all that information, we were, we were shocked. And then we started doing our own investigation. We bought a little spy drone that really, I think saved us in a documentary that we would fly over these operations, fly over water theft. And we were, absolutely alarmed on what we, were, we found. Um, mm -hmm. So for folks who don't know, in the Antelope Valley, for instance, there used to be 176 fire hydrants. They're now down, the, the city had to cut, cut it down to, well, the county had to cut it down to 76 because the water theft issue was so was so bad. Another wow. thing that we found in, in, in investigating was that there were residents out there in these desert communities that would buy the water legally, but then would turn around, sell that water at a higher price to the cartel. <laughs> So that, it just didn't, it didn't help. Um, so it, it was. It's it, like, as soon as you put yeah. out one fire, there's another, there's another piece of the story that we don't know. There's another side of the story that we haven't seen yet. Like it's, it's becoming so big. It's, it's, in, it's, 
it, like I said, it's completely insane. We were in a, in a community called uh, Ninac out there, kind of mm-hmm. uh, bordering bordering uh, Kern County out there. Mm-hmm. And over there, they have you know their local water board, water district, and they have a thing called surplus sales. So surplus sales is essentially they're able to get um, you know they're able to buy water, but like not too much. You know, kind of keep it limited for the whole community. In just one year, with the cartels out there, their surplus sales jumped up to three hundred sixty four percent. I mean, that's insane that's insane and then you know the county has to come back and say well if you're using this much water then we have to put a tax on you so you have really working class oh average gosh. americans yeah having to pay f- the water for these cartel guys so for yeah. these cartel guys now you're not getting taxed because you're not you're not doing legally yep. you don't have to pay your workers because they're being forced to work and then your water you're not paying for it because the Ameri- the us taxpayers are being stuck with the with the bill so for these guys it's 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 just they, they're winning at every angle right now and they're just they're just beating us. But I, I mean, I feel horrible for the people out there who get stuck with these enormous water bills. No fault of their own, of mm-hmm. course. And like I said, we, we interviewed one guy that had a three mile, what we call poly black pipe that was connected to one of his water lines, water wells, and just siphoning water every single day. So these cartel guys are making all the profits. Um, the risk is lower than ever because, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, if they even get caught and if L.A. County Sheriff can't find a weapons or any of these evidence of like human trafficking, things like that. They just get hit with a five hundred dollar misdemeanor, and if yeah. you're if your illegal grow is is ranking in three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, some you know upwards to a million, two million, a five hundred dollar misdemeanor ticket, it's like, oh yeah, we could take that any day. And then, as you know, um, right now we have a district attorney, George Cascone, who just hasn't persecuted these crimes yet. So these guys right now are are taking advantage of of all of our community. Like I said, um, I mean, just between LA County and San Bernardino County, we're now close to two thousand illegal operations, and that number is continuing to jump every day. Do you think it's getting out of hand to oh, the point absolutely. of no to the point of no control? So if no control, does that mean that there's no return? Like, where do you think it's going to go? I'm trying to stay positive on it, but it kind of seems that we're going down that route. So, for instance, in, in L.A. County, they don't have the funding to have active marijuana teams raiding these grows every day. Okay. So the, the good thing, I think, from a reporter perspective, spending time in L.A. County and San Bernardino County is you get to see the difference between the two counties and how they react. So in L.A. County... There's no funding for these guys. They can't get it approved. Um, and then when I'm spending time in San Bernardino County, it's a completely different ballgame um, because their their board of supervisors all know about this issue. They're they're on the same the same page and they're passing funding. So when we're in San Bernardino County, they have marijuana enforcement teams that are out raiding grows every day. They used to have one team, and thanks to the funding, they got it up to five. I believe they're trying to even get that number up to ten. Mm-hmm. So it's just a difference between the two. And even if LA County um, sheriffs, if they raid a grow or two or three in a day. I mean, five are popping up. A big thing that we found in, in the investigation and what the residents were really angry about was when they raid a grow, whether it's, it's San Bernardino County, L.A. County, or, or North Cal, is they only are taking away the plants. So all the infrastructure stays. So the hoop houses, um, all the tile and wooding that you need, any any of the electric wiring, water water line pipes and everything, that stays. So what, what we found when we were in Neenek is we actually um, ran across a grow that was raided. Within two weeks, we came back to the grow. It was already it's back up and, and up and up and running. Mm-hmm. So that's something that that's also really frustrating for the residents. It's like, you know, they almost feel like, hey, this battle is almost completely lost at this point. And they, they also feel that no one's um, hearing their voices out there in the rural communities. You know, no one goes out there and interviews them. Mm-hmm. Politicians don't go out there and campaign to them. Mm-hmm. So they feel like, hey, if no one's listening to me, if no one's nothing's being done, then I'm being forced to, to move out of California. At this I point. was just going to say they're probably thinking about, OK, well, if this isn't my vision of what I want, especially if we're mm-hmm. talking about still retire- retirement uh, age people. 
they're like, well, where do we go now? Mm -hmm. You know, if this isn't the life I want for the rest of my life, where do I go? And this is also just to remind folks, this is not just becoming a California problem. It's coming to other states. So we're Mm -hmm. seeing Oregon is now being hit by illegal grows. We interviewed a couple uh, in Nenac who's putting their home up for sale because of the water theft and all that stuff got so bad. And they're moving on their stuff to Tennessee. So I just actually had a phone call with them, and they said on their on their drive back from Tennessee, they 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 stopped at a motel in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. That that the owner of that motel used to be the sheriff in that little local town, and he was telling them that they're having the, an illegal marijuana operation crisis in Oklahoma as well. I mean, that's not even a state that that it's ideal to grow pie if you think about it. But it's it's affecting multiple states at this point, and. Right now, the bad guys just continue to continue to be emboldened because they, you know, they feel like they can't be stopped. And California right now is, I mean, we're getting hit so hard. We're, you know, we're actually heading uh, next month, uh, mid-February, we go up to Shasta County, uh, which is kind of close to Oregon, to, to do a sequel on our on our investigation. And just speaking to law enforcement and sources up there, they were telling us that, they said, hey, Hori, we know that you got like over 500 girls in illegal in, in L.A. County. Mm-hmm. Just in Shasta alone, we have 7,000. So you think about, oh you know, gosh, all the water wow. theft. Yeah, they were telling me that, you know, every single day that those operations are happening wow. in Shasta. Wow. They're averaging about 8 million water gallons being stolen every day up there. So oh that's it's becoming a, a pretty dire situation. We're trying to get the DOJ more involved. Um, yeah. Representative of the Assemblyman, Tom Lackey, actually informed me yesterday that he did send the documentary to the DOJ. So we're hoping we get a response and, and, and some change because... Uh, I mean, we could run out of water living here in SoCal. I know yeah. I know people think that can never happen, but we're pretty close to it. Yeah, it's really close to home, that's for sure. Mm. Okay, well, I'm excited for this part two. I'm excited to see what will happen, but let's tell our viewers where can we find part one. Yeah, so the, the, the best place right now is we created a, a separate website for the documentary. It's really easy. It's carteldoc.com. So the word cartel, D-O-C, dot, dot com. Full documentaries there available, and then the great thing is we have a trailer there as well. So if you want to send the trailer to a family and friend just to kind of check it out and say, "Hey, you know, look look, at, look what's happening in in Southern California," they're able to check it out. But um, really high encourage if you live in California, I feel like this is a must watch because you want to become aware of what's happening. And this is not just becoming a uh, LA County, San Bernardino County issue. It started up in North Cal. It's here. It's even moving into Riverside County. So if you live in California, uh, please watch and get educated on this issue because, uh, you know, people like to shrug this issue off because they think, oh, it's just pot. It's not like meth or anything serious. They have no idea all the kind of the criminal elements behind this. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And also tell our viewers where they can follow you at, where they can stay connected with you. Yeah, so the best place right now is Twitter, would be my last name, Ventura, and the word report all in one. Ventura Report, we're breaking news uh, live always on Twitter. And like I said, we, we begin our sequel next month, so stay tuned for that. Um, Instagram as well, you can follow me at Jorge Ventura TV. We're always posting um, the latest kind of news on our Insta stories and keeping everyone, the audience um, updated there as well. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was such an honor to be able to sit with you, pick your brain. Again, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'm that like fly on the wall in your brain right now of like, what is he thinking? But the passion is clearly there. You're, um, you're wanting and desire to make this a known issue is clearly there. And we're so honored to have your your knowledge and your presence here today. Thank you so much. All right, guys, this has been Secrets of Tomorrow's Leader. This podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, please help us by leaving a five-star review and sharing it with your friends. Thanks for listening. 